Sunday blessings to all of you. As you once again start a new week by commemorating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May the peace of Jesus' new life of resurrection continue to fill you abundantly. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and I thought it appropriate to offer a word or two concerning Ordinary Time as the characteristic green vestments made their return at Sunday Mass today. The word ordinary, as used to describe these 33 or 34 weeks of the liturgical year, is derived from a Latin word that conveys a task done in a methodical way, an orderly way, or in a sequential manner. You hear this sense of ordinary echoed in the Church's description of ordinary time in paragraph 43 of the Universal Norms on the Liturgical Year and the Calendar found in the front of the current Roman Missal. Quote, Besides the times of the year that have their own distinctive character, there remain in the yearly cycle 33 or 34 weeks in which no particular aspect of the mystery of Christ is celebrated, but rather the mystery of Christ himself is honored in its fullness, especially on Sundays. Unquote. Consequently, using the Gospel according to St. Luke this year, each Sunday from now until the start of Advent will be devoted to a methodical and sequential pondering of the Gospel text guided by two fundamental questions posed by the Gospel. Number one, who is this person, Jesus? And number two, how do I as an individual and we as a community follow him in living the reality of the kingdom of God? This week, St. Basil the Great will be our guide, and if some of the biographical information sounds familiar to what you have heard in previous podcasts. It's no coincidence. St. Basil the Great is the older brother of St. Gregory of Nyssa. St. Basil was born around the year 330 in Caesarea in the province of Cappadocia, near modern-day Kasseri, Turkey. Basil's parents, Emilia and Basil, Basil whom I will now refer to as Basil the Elder, uh, 
while not economically affluent, lived a comfortable life and fostered a devout living of Christianity within their family of 10 children. And a few of these children would later become bishops and saints. Basil the Elder was a famous rhetorician and provided a sound elementary education for his children. The young Basil took well to his father's classical studies and later attended schools locally as well as in Constantinople and Athens. Upon completing his education, Basil returned home to Caesarea and followed in his father's footsteps as a rhetorician. That proved to be a short career, as Basil soon experienced a spiritual awakening, after which he was baptized and journeyed extensively to meet known ascetics and spiritual guides of the era. When he returned home, Basil divested his wealth and, together with a number of companions, began living a monastic way of life. In time, one of his lifelong friends that he met while studying in Athens, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, joined him. As a result of the numbers that were attracted to this way of life, uh, Basil was able to open a, a number of monasteries in, in the region. His work did not escape the notice of Eusebius, though, the local bishop, who prevailed upon Basil to become a priest. And in 364, Basil was ordained to the priesthood. When Eusebius died in the year 370, Basil succeeded him as the Metropolitan Bishop of Caesarea. Basil rapidly acquired the affection of the people. He made social justice and institutional charity priorities throughout the Metropolitan Sea by establishing hospitals and centers to care for the poor. For Basil, his passion to care for the vulnerable of society was complemented by an equal passion and zeal to live Christianity as sounded in the Gospels and the Creed of Nicaea. He worked with St. Athanasius of Alexandria to help solidify Nicene Orthodoxy, not only in the region of Cappadocia, but throughout the entire church. He died at the young age of 50, but not before expending heroic efforts in shepherding his flock by establishing ministries in the church and leaving us a great treasury of written work on Christian living and teaching. To that end, we listen this week to an excerpt 
from his work Concerning Baptism, in which a good amount of today's gospel is quoted. And so, from Basil's Concerning Baptism, quote, Once more, let us call to mind the Lord's words, which he spoke directly to each of us, when to the man who said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father, he replied, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another who said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. He rebuked with a stern threat, saying, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. A human obligation, therefore, however honorable it may appear, if it retards us ever so slightly in rendering the wholehearted obedience we owe to God, is to be repudiated by a person who wishes to become the Lord's disciple. Compliance with it is the deserving object of a dire threat. The Lord again states this precept in more general terms when he says, quote, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Unquote. But if we recall the words of the Lord to him who said, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God, we learn of a more terrible judgment of wrath and severity, which deprives those who transgress the precept of every good hope. These are the Lord's words, quote, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And the other said, I have brought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be full. Unquote. Moreover, the only begotten Son of the living God, sent by the Father, 
not to judge the world, but to save the world, as true to himself and faithful to the will of the good God, his Father, associates with the decree of his severity a doctrine whereby we might be made worthy of becoming his disciples. He says, quote, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Unquote. That sort of hatred is meant, of course, which inculcates the virtue of piety by withdrawing us from distractions, not the kind which leads us to contrive hurtful schemes against another. And whoever, says the Lord, quote, does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple, unquote. This, indeed, is the very agreement we make when, in receiving the baptism of water, we promise to be crucified, to die, to be buried with him, and so on, as it is written. In consideration of our weakness, however, God willed also to establish our hearts in full conviction of the truth by means of parables and thereby induce in us a readier obedience. He says, therefore, quote, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This is the man who began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet at a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Unquote. If we have faith in these words, we will, first of all, with the grace of God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, unless we have received so great a grace in vain, 
free ourselves from the tyranny of the devil by refraining from every action that is pleasing to the devil. Secondly, we will renounce not only the world and its concupiscences, but also the just claims we have on one another and even our life itself whenever any of these things distracts us from the wholehearted and immediate submission we owe to God. Then shall we be worthy to become disciples of the Lord. Unquote. Let us pray. O God, who through the grace of adoption chose us to be children of light, grant, we pray, that we may not be wrapped in the darkness of error, but always be seen to stand in the bright light of truth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.